Good morning. If I got to be awake for this, y'all need to be awake for this. Good morning. There you go. For those of y'all that don't me don't know me, I'm Bill. I'm uh, filling in speaking today. Uh, quick announcement before we get started: uh, beginning Sunday, April the third, will be the pulpit will be filled by our interim preaching pastor Dan Carpenter, and he will be with us. He's the one we preached about three weeks ago or two weeks ago, time before last, whenever that was. And so Dan will be back, and he'll be with us from Sunday to Sunday for the time while the pastor search committee team uh, carries on with that and finds the man that God has chosen to be in this place permanently. So y'all continue to be in prayer with that, and now it's time to start. They told me, they asked me to to preach a sermon, and, and I teach all the time. I have an equipping class, and, and I said, well, I can do the equipping class, and I can preach. And then, so it's usually very, very easy for me to come up with a topic or a, or a passage of Scripture. And so I was working on it, working on it, working on it, and what they did was they gave me too much time to think about it. <laughs> and then everything I tried to come up with, it just didn't flow. Usually things flow with, when God's leading, things flow nicely. And then they said, well, can you do the next Sunday too? I said, well, sure. And boom, I got the message for the next Sunday. That's, that's already in the can. I mean, it, he spoke to me almost immediately. And I said, why do I have that one and not this one? And it seemed like the Spirit of God said to me somewhere in my brain or mind, if I still have a brain left, you need to let them know who you are and tell your story. And so, and a lot of y'all here that have been in my equipping class, you know some of my story and some of the life group knows some of the story, but it's a story about what God has done. There's nothing about me in this, but he's literally saved my life, and, and so I just want to share about that, if that's okay with you guys. I was actually born right here in Abilene, Texas, in the middle of the last century. <laughs> Almost dead in the middle. <laughs> and my dad joined the Air Force, and, and we moved to California and Austin, and Alaska, and then back here, ended up back here, but I got saved at a little Baptist church in Austin, Texas, uh, 10 years old. Not long after that, we moved to Alaska for three years, and I was a pretty good little Baptist boy. I didn't cuss, drink, smoke, chew, and run around with the girls that did, because that's what they told me, and I believed them. Then somewhere around uh, seventh grade, or no, fifth grade, fifth, sixth, seventh, got to count my fingers. Seventh grade in Alaska, you know, church has always been important. So everywhere we went, we went to church. Uh, you might say I was born with a drug problem. I got drugged to church, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night, Wednesday. And so it's, it's always been there. And so we had a church in a little town called North Pole, Alaska. And the preacher's daughter at that church, bless her heart, I hope she's not looking now, but she kind of looked like Tiny Tim, if any of y'all remember her. Google that, you young people. You can do that now. And she took it upon herself to teach all the boys that came into the seventh grade how to kiss. So I discovered something that was very interesting that I liked. Anyway, we moved to Abilene, Texas, and, and then I fell in with the other deacon sons in the seventh, or eighth, ninth, and tenth grade. And at 15 years of age, 
at the church house, I was introduced to marijuana. At 15 years of age at the church house, I was introduced to alcohol. At 15 years of age at the church house, there were girls. Life was good. And we were the little Deacon Sons rat pack, you might say. And fast forward ahead, all these guys are in ministry now that I ran with then. God has a plan for each and every one of us. And once he, once we bring him into our hearts, he lets us run a little while, but he's always got his hand on us. And, and that's what this story is about. It's not about me, but it's about what God does. It's what God did in my life. It's what God's doing in your life and what he wants to do in your life if you're not letting him right now. So fast forward a little bit longer, and I think I was 18 or so, and me and my friends, the Deacon Rat Pack, were at church one Sunday night because church is where all the happening things were, and there was a girls' Christian band up on the stage area, and there was a really good-looking blonde-headed girl playing the drums. She played the drums a while ago. I asked my friend, I said, who is that good-looking blonde-headed chick on the drums? And she said, that's Connie's sister. Connie was my age, and she was a couple of years younger. And I said, well, I kind of like her. And then we went on youth trips and, and stuff. And, and when you're in the Deacon Rat Pack, you know, you were at church all the time. We had evangelists all the time, and they had preach all the time. We'd get saved again all the time or rededicated, as we like to say in the Baptist church. And I'd get rededicated, and we'd go on a youth trip, and I'd see some of my friends in the Deacon Rat Pack, and they'd be a little messed up in their head a little bit. And I'd say, hey, where'd y'all get whatever it was? I said, well, we brought it from home. I said, why don't you ask me? Well, you were rededicated. I said, I wasn't all that rededicated. <laughs> and so it was like sin, wash, rinse, repeat. Sin, wash, rinse, repeat, just like doing your hair. But then we went on this trip to Carlsbad, New Mexico, and I had my cap set for that little blonde-headed girl. And all the tricks I'd learned on how to charm her, because I used to be pretty back then. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. And she was a good girl. Dang it. And I couldn't trick her into, into being a bad girl. And one of the things that's, that, that I liked about her is when she was up there singing and praising, she just kind of shined. And I didn't realize that it was the Jesus in her that was shining. And rededicate, you know, sin, rededicate, rinse, wash, repeat. That was me. But anyway, I, spent, I started spending time with her and, and quit doing some of the things I was doing. Uh, I quit doing the drugs. And then... We married, and she's put up with me for 46 years or so now. That's all her. <laughs> it's all her and God, not me. But I still, I still uh, continue to drink. We went to church, and we said our kids were going to be raised in the church, and we had all the right ideas for young, young Christian couples. And... I got a job in a bank, you know, when you're a banker. This is back in the, in the days where everybody had to have a drink socially. You know, you had the happy hours and all this stuff in the 70s. And it was, it was really a horrible time. And, you know, I turned 18 and they changed the drinking age to 18. Yes. 
Turn 19, they raised it to 19. Yes. Turn 21, they had raised it to 21. I was destined to drink legally. And I was a high-functioning drinker. I could, I could go all day long and, and do good, do my work, do a good job, get promoted, all those things. But at night, you know, I had to have something to drink. And that went on for a lot of years. And then, so we, we had kids and moved here and there. You know, not here, but here and there. And here in Abilene, and she wanted to join a church that I'd be active in because I kind of got out of it. And so we went to a big church here in Abilene. And so essentially what I was doing, I was pretending to be the man that I wanted to be. I had my church friends over here, and they never saw what the work guy did. And the work friends right here, and they never saw what the Christian guy did. Then they had the fishing and hunting friends over here, and they never saw any of that other. I was like three different people. It's exhausting, y'all. It's exhausting. So anyway, while at this other big church, there was a homeless ministry started. And for grins and giggles, I rode around with the guy that started it and, and enjoyed it. I liked it. I liked helping out the people that, that had less than that we had. And, and believe it or not, you know, I went, they started a little church here in town. And he made me an associate pastor there. No training. I'm an untrained preacher. You guys are in big trouble because I don't know what a clock means. And so I did that for a while, and it got to the point where I was over there so much that uh, they were asking Kim, you know, when did you and Bill split up? She said, we're not split up. He's over at the mission. But it made us think about appearances a little bit. And then uh, I was with a, a bank here in town, a bank holding company, for 20-something years, and they called us in one December. You know, we, we had banks all around the, the community here now and the surrounding towns, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, I'm coming in, driving in from town, because they called us all into the office. I think they're going to give us a raise, or some big company, you know, big giant bank company has bought this place out, and I had a little bank stock. I said, they're going to pay me two and a half times book on it. You know, I was counting the money, and when we all went in there, they said, we're giving your jobs to an accounting firm, and your last day is, I don't remember, it was around Christmas time, and so... What I didn't mention was for like a year or two before that, I'd been praying every day that God would deliver me from that job because I got to the point where I hated it. And then lo and behold, he answers prayers and he delivered me and everybody I worked with. There's about seven of us. <laughs> I didn't mention to them that I'd been praying for that. I've got notes that mean absolutely nothing. I don't even know why I looked up. <laughs> Prayed us out of a job, had a job for another deal. In the meantime, I'm still drinking. This is like 20 plus years down the road. And then, and then I had a job for one year and I said, I can't do this. Then I became self-employed. I was in the satellite business. I'm still high functioning. I only drink at night and on weekends. And then uh, I was in the satellite business. And I was installing a satellite system for a guy out in the country. And him and his, a friend of his, they got him some lawn chairs up under the tree and a big old cooler. They were just enjoying watching me work and sweat. One of them said, you want one of these cold beers? And I said, well, I'm working. Why not? You're over 21. It's legal. I said, well, you got a point there. And that was uh, the beginning of something I learned about the devil. How many times in, in my life and in your life 
as the enemy or somebody, some representative of him said, just one time's not going to hurt. Just once, it'll be all right. Just one drink won't hurt you. Just one hit. You won't become an addict in that. Just one time, you won't be pregnant. Just once. When it comes to the enemy, once is too many. And a million times is not enough. John 10, 10. The thief doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus has promised. And all these years of this messing around, this, is, this has always been in the background. Sin, wash, rinse, repeat. Sin, wash, rinse, repeat. And it got to be a habit that way. And, but God, it was always bringing me back. God was always, is in my face is what he was. I mean, every time I tried to really twist off, something would happen. Something would hinder me. Something would trip me up. Something would block me from where I thought I wanted to go. And what I found out was is I had a praying wife who had some praying friends. And literally, her and one lady that's in here now are part of this gang <laughs> that prayed me back into my senses Assuming I ever had any to start with. So what happened? After, you know, I started doing the satellite thing, so I didn't have time to, to devote to that homeless ministry. So she said, we need to go somewhere where we can be a family. So I met this guy, and, and he had a little church, and we went over there. I did not know, but it was a church that was directed to people in recovery. And we were going there for a good while before I finally figured it out. <laughs> that on Sunday mornings, you know, at one point in the service, people would come up and give a little testimony when they had six months or a year or a number of years of cleanness, clean time, or sobriety. And I thought, well, this is pretty weird. But then I said, surely they're not talking about me here. But what happened was I started praying about that. And every night, you know, I knew I had an issue. And, and because that guy started me with it was illegal that one time. I started drinking in the daytime from the time I got up to the time I went to bed. And I quit going to work. And I started sucking money out of savings to live on and pretending I was going to work. So I was living a lie. And I was lying to my wife. And I found out later that was one of the most harmful things I've ever done to our marriage is, is to lie to her. And when I heard her testimony one time and she talked about that, it literally just broke me in two. And it's kind of hard to talk about even now. It's been a long time. But anyway, I was doing all this lying and, and stuff. And, and I knew I had this problem. And I prayed. I said, God, take this away from me. Just take it away. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. Every night. Take it away. Please, God. Please, God. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to drink no more. I want to wake up. And I just want to be gone. And then I wake up in the morning. And I had to have it. I just had to. And this went on and on and on. And then sometime in the mid-90s, um, I went to a doctor for, all, for some reason. That's stupid. <laughs> I'm well up into my 50s, you know, and you're supposed to get a physical every year or something. Uh, and he examined me, and 
he said, man, your liver is huge. And he ran some tests and stuff. And, and I didn't, Kim didn't know about this for a long time because I didn't want her to know. I'm, I was funny that way back then. And forget to tell you, tell something that's kind of important. But he said, if I keep up the way I was, I wouldn't be coming in for my next annual physical. And that scared me a little bit. And so I'm still praying, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And so on sheer willpower, I was able to quit. I used to say for about six months, but in honesty, it was probably more like two or three. It's just hard to remember that far back. And it was the most miserable two or three dry months I'd ever spent. So I started drinking again. I was sneaking it then because everybody thought I stopped. So now I got another lie to keep up with. God, this lying is exhausting too. And so this goes on for, and I think, oh, I am so cool about this. Nobody knows. Nobody knows, you know, beer doesn't smell on your breath at all. <laughs> Drank as much as I did, you can smell it coming out the pores. <laughs> but July the 4th in 2006, she came up to me. I was sitting in my man room, I had my man TV up there, and I had a skinny, one of them big skinny glasses with the lid on it. Of course it was full of tea. Not. And she, she said, we got to have a talk. And she said, I, I can't go on like this anymore. Something has got to change, and I don't know what it is, but I can't live like this anymore. And I'd literally, literally been sitting there praying, you know, something would change, something would, something would happen. And then she went into the house. And so now I'm at fear of risk, you know, losing my marriage, which I knew that was kind of in jeopardy anyway because I could see her talking to family members and I could see her talking to her friends. I see you back there. And, <laughs> and I knew it was coming, but I didn't want to believe it was coming, you know, because, you know, if you don't look at it, it's not really there, right? It was really there. And so that night... You know, I'd got sick of praying, God, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I give up. I don't want to live like this, and I will do whatever it takes. That was July the 4th, 2006. I called July by the 5th, 2006, my dry date, because that's the last time I had a drink of alcohol. And, and God did not take it away from me. He made me go through a process, and it was a painful process, and, and it was an ugly process, and there was some self-examination in that process. And during that process, I'm wanting, you know, just because I've stopped drinking doesn't mean I'm okay with my wife because I've hurt her horribly for years and years and years. And there was that thing that I had to heal. I had to heal my body Another thing that happened with all that drinking is my esophagus had swollen up to the point where I couldn't eat real food. If it wasn't liquid, it wouldn't go down. It would hang up right here. And it was a miserable, miserable, painful thing. And so I told her one day, I said, when you ask me a question and I pause before I give you the answer, it's not because I'm thinking up a lie. It's because I'm trying to discern the truth because the lie comes like that. I've been hanging out with the father of lies so long, I was just his mouthpiece. What I said and the truth rarely occurred in the same sentence. 
And I said, when I pause before I answer your question, it's because I'm trying to figure out what the truth is of what I'm about to say. And I practiced that for a long, long time. And I paused a lot before answering a lot of questions. And I'm proud to say now, and it took a little while, that that woman trusts me again. I was praying to God that I would become a man worthy of that woman. I'm still working on it, but God's done a pretty good start so far. When I first got sober, believe it or not, you, anybody ever have trouble sleeping at night? You know, things going through your head, over through your head, like about a million miles an hour, a million thoughts, things I got to do tomorrow, things I, people I'm going to see, things I'm going to do. That happens like it's on steroids if, if you just quit drinking. It's been my experience. And so what I did was I was going to meetings and, and, and my brain is just going crazy. And so what I did was I started praying for people. I started praying for everybody I saw during the day. And I started with the A's. First, I, if I saw you in a place, I'd go, you know, I'd picture your name and I'd, and I'd pray for you as I pictured you around the table wherever I was. Or I'd, if I remembered your name, I'd start with the A's and I'd try to think of everybody's name. And I'd pray for them. What I prayed for them was peace, health, prosperity, and joy. The things I want for myself. Whether I liked them or not. Whether I liked them or not. There are some folks that aren't real likable. And I found out by the time I got through the alphabet twice, I was falling asleep. Then next thing you know, before I got through the alphabet once, I was falling asleep. And then now I start snoring before she goes to sleep. <laughs> so I'm told, I don't think I snore. And that, that brings me to 1 Thessalonians 5.16 where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So I started this praying without ceasing. I was praying at night. And I was praying in the daytime because I didn't have a job right then. And I'm praying a lot and I'm trying to do the right thing. And I'm, I'm going places I'm supposed to go. And six months down the road, you know, I walked into a 7-Eleven grocery store. And all of a sudden, my feet didn't go back to the beer box. Now keep in mind, from 15 to 35, or from 15 to 50 is 35 years. I had a habit. My shoes know where to go. My pickup knew where to turn. And then one day I went in there and I just went up there to get a piece of gum or whatever it was. And I thought, holy, I didn't go to the beer box. It was an epiphany. If you've never had an obsession, because y'all are all so much more spiritual than I am, I can tell. <laughs> if you've never had, it's like God saying, just do it one step at a time, one day at a time, and you can get anywhere. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came so I could have life and have it more abundantly. Sometime in the first year, sometime in the first year, I realized that I was eating things, eating real food, and it wasn't bothering me. You ought to see me now. I eat like a pig, man. I don't even chew anymore. I just... Put the whole steak in my mouth. It's all right. <laughs> Went to the doctor the next year, and he said, I really never thought I'd see you again. He said, you were my sickest patient this time last year, and now you're my healthiest. Total healing of my liver. But God. 
God. Nothing to do with me, but everything to do with the power of God. Nothing to do with the battle, but the battle did belong to God. We sang that song, when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. I've come from churches full of the frozen chosen is what I call them. Sit there and they praise the songs and the songs have words in them. You know, when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high and you're just sitting there, my hands lifted high. Those are instructions, man. Those are things. We've all been in battles. You can't say you haven't been in a battle yet that God didn't bring you through. If you haven't, your battle's coming. In the past 46 years of marriage, we have seen some stuff. You get to be in your 60s, am I right, y'all? You see some stuff. People you love aren't with us anymore. Some people you don't love aren't with us anymore. We don't really care about that so much. But we see children born. We see them, we see them grow up. We see them have children. We see them have children. And God, we love our grandchildren. We share a common enemy. They're parents. (laughs) Not. No, I'm just teasing there. The the kids are something special because I couldn't do it right the first time. I was unable to do it right the first time. But I'm doing it right now. None of my, I have seven grandchildren. We have seven grandchildren. None of them have ever seen me take a drink. But God. John 14, 16, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, except through me. The truth will set you free. The truth has a name. The truth's name is Jesus. I've got a couple of Kleenex in my pocket because sometimes when I talk about Jesus, my eyes leak. It's a medical thing, I think. I haven't been to the doctor about that. Look what God's doing. Look what God's done. He brought us to this place in the middle of COVID. And it was so warm and welcoming. People here are super. They love Jesus and it shows. And it takes, it takes 40, 50 people to pull this off every Sunday. Did y'all know that? Some of y'all do. And some of you have no clue. And the thing is that the people that are involved with that receive blessings like you cannot believe. Because they're not amongst the frozen chosen. See, I know what it's like to be lonely. And I know what it's like to be never alone. Through this, this deal, I know what it's like to, to belong to something but not feel a part of. Anybody like that? We've all felt like that, haven't we? And I discovered when we came here that if I wanted to be a part of, I needed to be a part of. So the first thing we did is, you know, we, we came here and we went through the new members class. We're going to have one next week, I think. Count them days. Yeah, the 27th. We're going to have that. So we went through that. And then I said, well, I could be a greeter. I am shy. <laughs> Believe it or not. This is, this is not me. But I'll sit out there and I'll 
say hi to everybody that comes through that door or through this door here. I do have a gift to teach a little bit, so I, I have an equipping class where we go through verse by verse of the scriptures. We're in the middle of Romans now, and I love it. God has seen fit to, to give me an understanding sometimes and, and a way to explain it and bring it to 2022 or whatever year this is because I really don't care what year it is. All I have is today, yesterday's gone, tomorrow's not promised, and if something happens tomorrow, I know my future. I don't know any particulars about it, but I know my future. It's pretty easy. When I got sober, I was literally bankrupt financially, spiritually, emotionally, in whatever kind of way you can be. And in six, a little less than 16 years, there's, there's a song I like to think of. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Took back what he stole from me. This Jesus, this amazing grace, this, this God that loved us so much. If he did all that for me, it's the least I can do is stand up here and tell people about him. What he did for me. And we all can do that. God has done something for each and every person in this room. The world out there is searching for God. They don't know it. There's no such thing as an atheist. If they think they're atheists, then they're their own God. They're just, they don't have it figured out yet. But mankind has been searching for meaning forever, and it's only the righteousness from God that, that brings us through. And that righteousness only comes by the blood of Jesus. There's division in this world right now, and it's, and it's all because people are looking for God in all the wrong places. And today is absolutely no different than it was 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul was writing his books. Absolutely zero difference. Absolutely zero. Oh, the only thing, the only difference maybe is we know about it quicker. That is the only difference in, in Rome and Corinth and Ephesus than Abilene, Texas. When we first came to this church, there was a we go to all the fellowships. We go to everything we can go to. We were at one of the fellowships, and and I'm not going to call any names, but but something really inspired me that day. We're sitting, we got the long table set out, and we're eating. And one of the ladies that was a new member who didn't know us very well, she said, let me tell you what happened to us, what happened to me. And then she proceeded to tell me how a neighbor had talked to her, invited her to church, and she learned about Jesus. All she did said, let me tell you what happened to me. You don't have to know this book, chapter, and verse. You don't have to read and memorize this whole thing. To bring people to Jesus. You just say, look what happened to me. Listen to what happened to me. And if you can't do that, what you can do is you can say, come and see. I know somebody that, that's got a story to tell you. And one thing about not knowing this chapter and verse, you know, somebody that knows the Bible better than you, maybe not necessarily be a believer, and they say, yeah, what about this? Yeah, what about that? What about this? 
And you know, I don't know. But what you can do is you can tell them what God has done for you, and nobody on this planet can refute what God has done for you. It's your personal experience. It's your personal story. It is yours, and nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can take my story from me. Nobody can take the love of Jesus from me. Nobody can take my salvation from me. And he heals bodies. He heals marriages. He heals finances. He heals hearts. Y'all know what the word amen means? Anybody? Who said that? What is it, Sarah Beth? Let it be so. so. It's a strong agreement. We should hear more amen in this place. If somebody says something that you agree with, say amen. Say, let it be so. Do we want to see Jesus move in power in this place? Let it be so. Do we want to see God do a work in the hearts of people in this place? Let it be so. Y'all, we can't be the frozen chosen and win a lost world if we're going to sit here and not do anything. We've got to be willing to get dirty. We've got to be willing to get bloody. Jesus never promised it'd be easy, but he did. Promised to give us all of our needs. Everybody in this room has a full tummy. You did not fill your tummy. God did. God is your provider. Your job is not your provider. Jesus is your provider. Your money doesn't get you anything. That's God's money. If you want to get the freedom that he has, you recognize everything is his. He just lets us hang on to it for a minute. And when you do his will with it, when you are a good steward of what he has let you have control over, guess what blessings come? You still going to have trouble? Yeah. Stuff happens to us all the time. 2019, tornado comes through Abilene. The night before that thing hit, Kim said, there's going to be a tornado tonight. Bill says, Tornadoes don't hit in Abilene. They skip right over and go to the lake. Am I right? Some of y'all been around a while? About 6 o'clock or so the next morning, we hear this kaboom. Lights go out. What in the world was that? We go outside. No lights anywhere. And so I look in the back. She's looking in the front or I'm vice versa. And I said, I think Janie's roof is gone. She said, I think your shed's gone. It was. <laughs> and, you know, the sun's barely starting to come up. And we look over there, and our neighbor across the street, little old widow lady, the roof was just lifted and boom, gone. Nothing. You walk into her house, sheetrock's still there. Lights are all on, working. From inside the house, you could not tell anything was wrong. You walk outside, there's nothing. Back of the house, you could hear gas spewing from her gas meter. One of the other neighbors is a, worked for the gas company. He went over there. He couldn't turn it off. There was something squirrely about that gas. So we evacuated her over to our house, waiting for one of her sons to get there. Neighbors are pulling stuff out of the street, you know, so that the emergency vehicles can get through. And we never went back into our house for a long, long time. We're busy helping her and helping the neighbors and stuff. And finally, you know, about 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, you know, we had a minute and relaxed. 
And here, here comes people down our street. People we didn't know, not, not neighbors. And they're picking up debris and they've got chainsaws and they're cutting stuff up and they're hauling stuff to the dumpster and they're raking yards and they're doing this, that, and the other. And I watch them come and I'm in the house, you know, I was getting a bologna sandwich or something. And, and she said, those people are in our yard and they're, they're cutting the trees and they're doing this and they're doing that. And I watched them. Here come another car behind them. They have sandwiches and burritos and gloves and, and stuff and, and rakes. And, and they said, do you need anything? Do you need something to eat? Do you need some gloves? Do you need this? Do you need, you know, whatever you need, let me know. We will get it for you. And it was a local church, a church we used to be a part of. And I wept. I can tell the story now. Probably a year ago I still couldn't tell the story. But to see the hands and feet of Jesus walking down my street when I think I'm the one that always has to provide the help. I'm the one going over to the little old widow lady. I'm bringing her home to my house until her son can come get her. I'm the one that when there's a flood at the end of the street, me and my friends, we're the ones that go down and help out. And now when there's, you know, no electricity for three days coming, I didn't know that at the time. My shed that I built with my own hands over time and, and just finished it is nothing no roof, nothing. It's, my stuff's still on the, on the floor. The walls and roof are gone. It's okay. But here comes people helping me at my house. In a time of need, I do not even realize I have. And I wept. Because I didn't think I deserved it. We all deserve God's blessing. And we all deserve to be the blesser. It's easy to write a check, it's easy to put money in the, in the tower. It's e that kind of stuff is easy. What's hard is to commit of your time. See, I, I found out that God is a gentleman. He doesn't come where he's not welcome. He won't take anything away from us. We won't let go of. All those years I prayed for him to take that from me. I kept holding on to it. What are you holding on to this morning? What is blocking you from receiving the blessings that God has for you? What are you hanging on to? If you think you've got it all let go, I'd ask you to re-examine your life. Because we've cleaned our house before and got it all spick and span and perfect. And then all of a sudden there's like a cobweb in the corner. Wasn't there a minute ago. We've all got a cobweb in the corner. And we don't have enough time on planet Earth probably to get all the cobwebs out. But we can get rid, rid of the big ones. We can surrender those things to God. We can let go of our own will, so to speak, and let God have his way. Every time I've tried it my way, it's, it's been a total mess up. Every time I tried it God's way, it worked out. I've almost quit doing his will, kicking and screaming. They got me on the elder testing list. I didn't really kick and scream because I recognized that God had been preparing me for a time such as that. I don't want to be responsible for a lot of stuff. I want to just, you know, go fishing all by myself, let everybody leave me alone or sit in a deer blind. And I can do that for a little while, but then I've got to come back. 
And I've got to share what Jesus has done for me. In closing, I learned that word at another church. If you had been at the if you'd been to that church, you'd be very, very scared right now because in closing, you usually meant four times. <laughs> I don't roll that way. In closing, look at what God's done. Look what he did here. You talk about throw it off. I am so thrown off. It's not even funny. It's amazing they let me come here. It really is. But look what he's done in your life. We do way too much thinking and not enough thanking. That's, that's the pray without ceasing thing. That's the, in everything, give thanks. You know, we worry about, oh, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to get up and i got to go talk to this teacher. i got to talk to this boss. And he's going to say this, and I'm going to say that. And then I'm going to get mad, and I'm going to say this. Anybody done that? You don't know what they're going to say. But you can pray that God be in the midst of that, and then sit back and say, wow, look what God did. Wow, look what God did. Look what God is doing. Praise to you. Y'all need to come up here. I'm done. <laughs> We're going to have a time here where, where you can come. This, this is an altar. You can come down here. We're going to have people stand here that will pray with you. Men pray with the men. Women pray with women. We'll even have some couples pray with couples if that's what we need. What are you holding back from God? What are you not surrendering what is that just once won't hurt thing that you need to let go of? I'm here to tell you it's a process. There's that good looking blonde I saw on the drums. <laughs> I still like her. <laughs> I still like her a lot. If the prayer team could come down. If you're in leadership in this church, everybody bow your head, bow your head please. You know, one of the reasons we bow our head when we pray is we're looking inward. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. When we get saved, he fills a part of us. I want you to remember, I mean, if what he did on the cross wasn't enough, look at what he's doing today. If you don't see God working in your life, then you're not looking hard enough. If you don't think he still does miracles, look up here. I should have been dead 16 years ago. God still has a plan for me and he's got a plan for you. If you need to pray with somebody, if you need, if you just need somebody to, to hold you, that's what this altar is for. This altar is not just to look nice for people to stand up on. And read from the Bible and be all spiritual and everything. It's not about being all spiritual and everything. It's about relationship. You can't get to know this Jesus if you don't spend some time with him. You can't get to know him if you don't meet his people and talk to them. You can't get to know him if you don't invest in him. Invest your time. Invest your, your thinking. I mean, we do too much stinking thinking, not enough thoughtful prayer. We need to see some prayer warriors, not some. We're needy, Father. God, we just love you so much. 
Right now, I pray for your Holy Spirit in this place to touch each and every heart here. Whether they come forward today for, or not, it doesn't matter. They don't have to rededicate, rinse, and repeat. Right where they sit, Lord, they can surrender to you. God, I just love you so much. I just thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers us. I just thank you, Jesus. God, I bless, I bless you and I thank you for these, your people. Father, I pray a supernatural blessing on each and every one of them. I pray that they would seek you and find you. Like it says in Hebrews, you're not hard to find. All we got to do is seek you. Wow, come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.